0: Oh my gosh, George Slupik, we're going to bring him in here. It's an amazing guest today. George is known for his musicality, his well-rounded knowledge of the art, playing for the song, and just making music feel so good. George has played with the legendary Albert King, Shanana, J.J. Cray and Mafro, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, Morgan James, the City Champs, Charlie Hunter, Macy Gray. Oh, I love Macy Gray. Bob Weir, Phil Leash, and many, many more. Would you please welcome Mr. George Slepik?
1: George, how are you? Pretty good. You said you said mafro, and I think that's the funniest pronunciation of that name ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey man, it's good to see you, bro. How are you? Listen, my eyes are getting a hell of a lot worse as I get older. Hey, I'm like, my, I'm like my, I even got that out.
1: <laughs> oh man, I need lenses for my for my glasses. I don't have them on right now, and I need new lenses because my 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 dog Barksdale, still. Uh, like uh, when he was really young, he got a hold of my glasses a couple of years ago and, and and chewed, you know, chewed through the lenses. So they're, <laughs> they're all. They're all scratchy, and they got teeth marks on them. (laughs) I need
0: them, man. I need them. Oh, man. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us, Joy. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. I want to go
0: back. I want people to understand. I mean, originally from Memphis, you started out there, and and you're in Memphis now, but you do have plans of of even relocating. So let's go back to the beginning days of playing drums in the early age, and kind of what got you into music, and, and how this whole thing sparked.
1: Uh, it's it's an incredible story. I was really lucky. Very, very, very fortunate. Um, I was uh, eating. Apparently, the, the story that my dad told everybody and related to me, I mean, I sort of remember it. Uh, I was four years old. I was eating animal crackers. Uh, and uh, I'm sure, Dom. I'm sure you remember animal crackers They came in like the little um, absolutely, yeah, the little rectangular box, and they had like the circus animals on them, and there were like these little, you know, yummy little butter cookies, and I loved them, you know. And so I was, I was eating animal crackers, and apparently, like, I, I took the animal cracker box and, like, you know, and like had it, be- like between my legs, you know, it was like, and uh, to the to the music that was on the radio. And my dad stopped the car because he. My dad was a mechanic uh, uh, for a really long time, so he loved working on cars. And he hears this little, you know, he hears the sound, and, and he's like, <laughs> he t- turned the turn the radio down, and and then and then and then and then the, and then the as soon as he turned the radio down, the the beat stopped. So then that freaked him out. So he got out of the car and flipped the hood and was like underneath the car. You know, it was like several minutes went by with my dad, like looking around the car, trying to find this noise that only came back when he turned the music on. (laughs) and then and finally you know he's just driving he's like he acts he's like this intermittent sound finally like turned around to the back seat and i've got this animal cracker box and i'm like banging on it with my fingers and my dad was a musician he's gone he's passed on now but my dad was an incredible bass player started out on trumpet and then in marching band and then moved to snare drum um so he played drums too um and And then, but then years later, he switched to guitar and then eventually bass. <clears throat> so when uh yeah, yeah. there he is, uh, his name was George Slupik as well he was he was just an incredible musician. I really uh, owe so much to my dad and and his love of music. Um, but yeah, he saw me jamming on the animal cracker box. a light bulb went off in his head, and he said, "My son is a drummer." The very next day he found, I swear to God, for $5, he found uh, a Sears Gold Sparkle drum set and, right. and bought it, brought it home, put it in the garage, uh, uh, which was, you know, it's just something very specific. I noticed um, uh, when, it, when, I've, when, I've, when I've tried to teach uh, younger kids, sometimes the parents will put the drum kit in like the playroom and the kids will associate the drums with their toys. My dad, he knew. He's like, the drums have to be in a separate room by themselves, and it's like a destination point. He's like, we're going to go there, and we're going to go there for one reason, to practice and learn music. you know. So we had a radio. We had a record player in there, and then my mom had an insane record collection. Beatles, Dave Clark Five, Love and Spoonful, Aretha Franklin, Rufus Thomas, James Brown, the Staple Singers, Stevie Wonder—it was like this massive collection. And she played 45s all day long. So my dad would just grab a stack of records and take them out to the garage and put them on the on the turntable, and then we would just play. He would have his guitar or his bass, and we put on a song like you know Tommy Tucker's. uh, uh, high-heeled sneakers, you know, put on your high-heeled sneakers, and he would play the song with me, and I would just, you know, apparently I had rhythm immediately, so he would show me how to hold the sticks, and he always would say, sit up straight, and then he we would go through the songs. He would say, this is an intro, this is called the verse, this is called the bridge, there's uh, sometimes we'd we'll have a pre-chorus. He said, "This is a pre-chorus," and then he would say, "This is the this is the chorus section," and and he would just explain. He would describe to me, "Can you can you hear how it's changing? Uh, in the, in the, like from the from the verse to to the bridge to the chorus? Can you hear like the different changes?" And he would just show me song form, and that was really how I came out. So I spent a couple of years with him in the garage, like learning songs. And then uh, I did my first performance when I was seven at my, uh, at my little elementary school. Uh, we put a carnival on every year uh, at, at, uh, at uh, uh, Goodland Elementary. And it was just me and my dad, just a drum set and my dad's guitar. And we just went through like all these tunes that we'd been working on for a couple of years. And that, I mean, that really like, like once I played in front of people,
0: that was it. That's all I wanted to do. What is this, man. What a Great, great picture of you. How old you are you in this picture? I think I'm about 11.
2: Boy, there
1: used, you know, there used to be jam sessions, man. I don't know, like, how it was you know, for you coming up on the East Coast, but, man, we used to have jam sessions in Memphis all over the place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if you were, a, if you were a kid coming up in the music scene here, there were people around here that would, you know, that would embrace you and say, hey, you know, well, your kid plays, let's, let's get him up here. Can they keep a beat? You know, and my dad was always twisting their arms because I was little, man. I was a little skinny kid and I was short, you know, wafy little guy they there with my <laughs> drumsticks in my back pocket. And they're like, oh man, this is going to be another one of these kids. But then I would play. And they're like, oh, okay, well, let's give him another song. It wasn't like, let's usher this kid off as quickly as we can. Yeah. Like I would end up staying up there for, you know, two or three or four songs. And, um, and that was, man, I mean, in Memphis, you know, if you, if you have the talent and then there's people around here that will, that will embrace that. And, and, um, you know, I got, it, I got, it. I was really, I'm really grateful for my parents because they didn't try to dissuade me from being a musician. I mean, you know, they was like, "Oh, he wants to be a musician. Let's give him a drum set. Let's take him to jam sessions.
0: Let's buy him some records." You know. But so it's the fact that you had the support from your parents is absolutely amazing. And right, yeah. And many years ago, there was so many more playing opportunities, jam sessions, clubs you could sit in. I mean, it was just such a wonderful time to grow up and and have that. So you had some great, great opportunities. But so now, you know, were you were you listening to any music, particularly for yourself? Were you seeking out to hear? Certain bands that you liked. Um, personally, I was I was
1: sort of moving toward um, soul music and 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 rock and roll. But, and the funny thing is, Dom, is that I didn't really, I didn't really like. I wouldn't say that I loved country music. Necessarily, although years later, I ended up playing a lot of country music, you know, and, and I do have a love for a specific uh, era of country music. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that I really loved country music. I definitely didn't love classical music. Yeah. Um, I wasn't much into the folk thing. You know, my mom had a few folk records, you know, like 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 Kingston Trio type stuff. Um I wasn't in, I wasn't quite, I was more into like, like some somewhere between the Beatles and, and James Brown, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, you know, those, those, that, that music really spoke to me. If it, if it was, if it had a good groove, it didn't matter really what the genre was. If it was really grooving, I was into it.
0: Well, so what, so was it? Went to you, frozen. Here you are. So, so in this point now, you're, you're playing music. You're hearing music. you were out working with your dad now, right? It was it was this like a, a regular thing. Um. Well, I, I I
1: played with my dad. Um. Yeah, I played with my dad off and on until I was, until I was nineteen, and nice. then and then I got the gig with Albert King, and then after that, I was off to the races. You know. Um, How did that gig come about?
0: How did the Albert King gig come out?
1: Man, so my um, I've, have you heard of the international? Um, I think it's called the International Blues Competition. It happens right. in Memphis every year. The IBC. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> my dad was a stage uh, production manager for the IBC for about seven or eight years, um, and I was I was always hanging around during you know uh, when 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 the when the IBC. When I was coming up, when I was coming up, it was called the ABC. It was called the Amateur Blues. It was called the Amateur Blues Competition. But they didn't like the word. After a few years, they didn't like the word amateur, so they call it the International Blues Competition. But um, Amateur Blues Competition. And a lot of times, you know, um, out of town bands wouldn't have a drummer, or you know, bands would fly from from England or Ireland or whatever, and and they wouldn't have a drummer. So sometimes I would get to play with those bands. But since my dad was production manager, I was always around. I was, I was always hanging out. Nice. And at some point during that time, and I, I couldn't tell you when exactly it was, but I know that it was one year after graduating from school. So I was 19, and I ended up um, during one of those IBC things. There was a jam session, and I jammed with some guys, one of whom was Albert King's bass player. And I didn't know it at the time. Uh, his name is Ruben. He's still around here. His name is Ruben Fairfax. He goes by Rubé. And as a funny story, uh, I guess we jammed together. And uh, I was nineteen. I had a job at a um, at a local record store here called Poplar Tunes. Uh, it was on Poplar Avenue downtown. It's gone now. <clears throat> but I worked in the I worked in the in the in the cassette tape department, and uh, and we got a phone call one day and the person asked to speak to me and my boss, you know, said, Hey George line two. And I picked up the phone. I was like, hello. And there was this guy he had this like this very proper, uh, speaking voice. He said, hello, George. My name is Ruben Fairfax. My friends call me Ruben. It's a combination of my first and last names. R U E B A I X. It's French Rubé. And I was like, I was like, okay. Hi <laughs> Rubay." He goes, I play bass with Mr. Albert King. And I was like, Oh, this is a real call," he said. "You and I jammed together at a jam session at, at the New Daisy Theater a few months ago. I really liked how you played. Albert is looking for a drummer, and I told him about you. and He's wondering if you could come down, you know, next Tuesday at two o'clock uh, to the club that we're playing and audition for the band. and I, was, I almost dropped the phone. I was like. You know, I'm 19, you know, uh, and I was like, I was like, of course, I'll be there. So then I hung up the phone and and um, I turned to my boss was standing there. My my boss was a sweet, sweet guy, Frank. And uh and I, I said, Mr. Beretta, um, I'm um, I just got a call from Albert King's bass player. They want me to come audition. For his band, he put his arms around me. And he says, "It's nice knowing you, kid. Good luck out there." <laughs> he just knew that I was probably going to get the gig and quit, you know. And I did. I went down and auditioned, and and I got the gig. And um, I played with him for about three and a half weeks. I won't. I won't. I, I mean, that was that was an incredible experience. Although he was that that photograph right there. That's not my drum set. But we're we're at a festival in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, crawfish festival, and we were one of one of the, I guess, opening acts for Waylon Jennings and Carl Perkins.
2: Huh.
1: I wouldn't really say we were opener, but we played early in the day because the sun was shining. That drum kit belonged to the drummer from that country band, Alabama. And their road crew supplied all the backline for that for that concert that day. So when I got to the gig, they were like, "Hey, you got to play these guys' drums." I was like, "Man, it's a double bass kit with toms everywhere and cymbals everywhere. <laughs> Look at that kit!
2: Oh, and that, yeah.
1: that mullet on that kid too. It's really funny." But yeah, that was that was uh, that was the only time that Albert had a nice word for me. Because uh, he, had, he had a very colorful expression that infringed me that I will not repeat here. <laughs> it was it was not it was not nice. Um, but I found out uh, I found out that I was uh, at the time I was the fifth drummer that he had had in two months. Mm. So he he, uh, he he went through him he went through really fast. But I learned a lot. I learned that 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 um, I needed to get my hands together. You know, he was played a lot of really fast 16th notes and uh, and and where like he might have recorded something with eighth notes, uh, you know, like like a backbeat. Like, for example, he recorded Al Jackson Jr. played drums and produced one of Albert's records called Live Wire Blues Power. Mm -hmm. And there's a famous song on there called um, Born Under a Bad Sign. You've probably I'm sure you've heard it. It was it was a huge hit for Albert. Born under a bad sign, yeah. and Al Jackson. Al Jackson plays this boom, ch- ch- boom, 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 bop, boom, bop, boom, boom boom, bop, boom, bop, boom, boom, boom. Right. Well, ten years later, when I got the gig with Albert King, the song is way faster. Because, like, discos come in and, like, everything's got really fast. Wow. And he wanted... And I hadn't yet developed... I was a lazy drummer. Still am. I hadn't yet developed a facility in my right hand to play a consistent uh, 16th notes yeah, yeah. for... For seven minutes or whatever. <laughs> so I'd start out with I'd start out with sixteenth notes, right? And then I and then I'd get tired, I'd slow down, I'd start playing eighth notes, and he would turn around and and yell this colorful expression at me. <laughs> and then I'd try to play the sixteenth notes again, and then my hands would kind of freeze up. And then I'd try to play it with two hands, and then that's a different feel. That's more of a lope, lopey feel you know when you play 16th notes with two hands on a high, high it feels different than playing straight 16th yeah, yeah. Hand, right sure. and, th- and that would really make him mad so he 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 didn't like me so he fired me after about three weeks
0: <laughs> but the experience itself must have been absolutely fantastic oh
1: i mean yeah and it opened up a ton of doors too because people were like wow this kid played with albert king i want to i want to get him in my band so really that was the beginning of my of my touring experience because i i toured around with him for about three and a half weeks and then um yeah and then i immediately got into a rock and roll band that was playing down in the in the in the college in the southeast college circuit so you know alabama mississippi arkansas georgia you know and just toured around a little thing and usually
0: we would go out on the weekends so when you toured you guys hopped into a bus or a car you just drove around (coughs) individual days how would that work out um, <clears throat> a lot of the bands
1: that I traveled with in the in the in the late 80s early 90s we all had that all the bands had a formula that, that 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 it seemed like every band used the same formula we would go to uh, uh, we would go to Hertz Pinsky and we would rent a pinsky moving van, yeah yeah sure moving truck. Because it has the cab, but the cab is like a t- is also attached to the back. Yeah. So uh, you're sitting there driving, and then right next to you is like this sliding door. So you slide the door open, and you could. Uh, what we would do is we would take. Um, uh, we we, we uh, what are what are the what are the things called on your the dryer ducts? You know, for your dryer, you know, the long uh, snake-like
0: silvery stuff. Oh, that that uh, it's kind of like a, a the tubing.
1: Yeah, the the, the dryer tubing. You know, yeah. it's like it's like a slinky. You know. Yeah. And, yeah. and <clears throat> we would put we would put two of those. We would duct tape two of those onto the front air vents, and they would run them uh, run them up uh, onto the ceiling, oh, and then back through that vent hole or through that. Through that hole, right? So in the wintertime we had heat, in the summertime we had the air condition, and then we would stack the stack the PA gear, the, the all the all of the all the speakers and everything. We use these huge JBL speakers. We would stack everything flat, and then we would just lay cushions and pillows and blankets yeah. and. It's like, like six dudes like laying on top of this PA gear, you know, floundering around in the back of this van, and we would drive, you know, two or three hours down the road to, you know, somewhere in Mississippi or Arkansas to go play at a college fraternity to make twenty five hundred dollars or something like that. But you know, we did three of those on the weekends, you know, and then and then everybody comes home with four or five hundred dollars each. Yeah. You know, I mean, at twenty years old, it was it was. A, it was, it was a good, I mean, I knew, I was like, I'm never going to make this much money working, at
0: a, working in a restaurant. Yeah, no, but well, listen, at that time it was great money and you were enjoying yourself and you were learning every day. So you were really kind of developing all the skills <clears throat> that you have now in the process. So at what point did you decide to move to San Diego? So San Diego was kind of
1: happened, um, was, was, I originally was uh was going to move to uh to Los Angeles. I wanted to go to school at um I was going to go to school at Percussion Institute.
0: Right, PIT, yeah. <clears throat>
1: um I I don't remember who told me about Percussion Institute, but um I read about them and it sounded like they had a you know they had a good program there. I got the brochure and um started checking them out i called and talked spoke to somebody on the phone and they they said yeah here's you know this is what you got to do you know we send you this stuff and it's basically just like an audition form you know you fill, you know you know they ask you some questions you you know they 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 ask you to sight read a couple of things and you make a cassette tape doing all this stuff and then and then and then on the cassette you play uh you know two or three minute improvised solo so i did that and um, and then sent it back and then like a week or two weeks later or whatever comes back and it, and it says, you know, you've been accepted to Percussion Institute. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I got into the school. Not knowing anything about Los Angeles or, 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 or any of that, you know, I'm just a, a southern kid from Memphis. So I've got, you know, in California and Los Angeles, Hollywood, I've just got stars in my eyes. I was like, oh, my God, I'm <laughs> going out going out to the West Coast. Had you, had you taken lessons with anybody before that time? Sure, um, well, you know. So, Dad was my first teacher, um, um, but then he brought me to um, a local drummer here who still uh, uh, who still teaches. Uh, although he's gotten a little bit older and he's kind of fallen into some uh, some some health issues, you know. So he doesn't play as much. But um, his name is Richard Sasani, and he he was an instructor for a lot of the drum lines around here so he you know he taught he basically i had already been playing for about um 10 years almost 10 years when i first met him and um i you know he told my dad something like you know i'm gonna have to basically george is gonna have to unlearn everything that he's already taught himself you know uh uh for, for me to teach him properly but um you know we'll work on him and see what we can do and again you know i'm not going to lie i was i was a really lazy drummer so in the in the in the lessons with richard you know we'd be working on singles doubles paradiddles <clears throat> and then you know chart reading like like you know simple rock beats and things like that and i would always do really good while i was in the lessons but then when i would get home because i had already been playing you know uh uh in in, in front of people all i really wanted to do is just sit down and play the records so then you know i had my copies of of syncopation and and george stone's book and they would just sit over in the corner collecting dust and i would and i would rarely open them up um but uh late you know years later you know i I realized that i needed to get my hands together you know so i I started started practicing uh, a bit more but early early on early on it was it was me and my dad and uh and richard you know with
0: cracking the whip, trying to get me to, yeah. you know, play correctly. But how great that was to have that kind of guidance and understanding. So now you get to, now you got to PIT and you enrolled in there, and, and and you went there? I did not go there.
1: I enrolled and I went up and I, and I moved out to California in 91. I quit the band that I was in and jumped on the Greyhound and uh, took a couple of days and I got to California and I went to go visit percussion Institute I called and they're like, yeah you know you don't have to make an appointment just come you know just come to the school and we'll show you around and I was like I was like okay cool And I remember the day that I got there um, <clears throat> uh, the uh the f- it was like the faculty had gone. It was like lunchtime. So everybody was at lunch. So the only person that j- could show me around the school was the dean of the students and the dean of the percussion department. I don't remember who it was, but it was he, um, I bet if I said his name, you probably know him. But, yeah. but it, was a, it was a short dude. And uh, he was in his office and the girl at the front desk came up and said, hey, we've got a guy just came out here from Memphis, you know, wants to see the school. He's enrolled or whatever. And I remember the guy was like kind of like kind of snippy with her. He was just like, damn it. You know, why can't I get you guys <laughs> to do this on your own? Why are you always coming to me to, to do this? You know, I don't want to show this guy around. All right, And then he comes out of his office and I'm standing there. And I'm like, you know, I can hear you. Right. <laughs> but, like, comes out of his office, he's like, hey, how's it going? You know, I'm I'm blah, blah, blah or whatever his name was, you know, all right, this is this is our school. And okay. he takes me down this hallway and he's like, here's our lesson rooms, here's our practice rooms, this is where we eat. This is the cafeteria over here. And this is uh, you know, these are these are the uh, <laughs> these are our offices. Any more questions? Go see the girl in the front desk. I'll see you later. And I was like, okay. I, five minutes. I was with this guy, so I'm like, all right. Well, I'm just gonna go explore on my own. And I just wandered around. I talked to a couple of kids, and uh, everyone was re- everyone was really nice. But but also, they were they were confused as to why someone that was already making money as as a, as a musician why they would choose to go back to the school. Uh, choose to want to go to school after you were already doing what most of them are trying to figure out how to to do once they get out of school. Really? Uh, <clears throat> uh, but you know, I just I, I i knew that my that I was self taught, and and at the time, I really thought that you know I needed to like go to a school to to have all you know to get all these fundamentals that I had sort of missed out on, you know, yeah. not realizing that the fundamentals that I already had were like priceless. You yeah, know?
0: Totally. I mean, working that much and playing that much with the experience that you had, that really is a, is an incredible amount of information that you have earned on the road, hitting the road, doing what everybody is really wanting to do. Like you said, when they get out of school. So, you yeah. Get that. so, so, so you-
1: yeah. So I wanted I around the school a little bit and then, Uh, I kind of, you know, I, I, I actually didn't live in Los Angeles when I first moved out to California, I moved to San Diego because, uh, uh, it was an idea of one of my best friends who was from Memphis, who had lived in California for a long time, came back to Memphis. We were talking about me, maybe going to school in Los Angeles. He said, you should look at San Diego because, you know, it's, it's close to LA. If your school's not starting just yet, maybe, you know go to San Diego for a little while and see what you think about the music scene out there. It'll help you get acclimated to the West coast lifestyle because it's different than what you're used to in the South and people are different and it's more expensive and blah, blah, blah. So I first moved to San Diego and then I drove up to Los Angeles <clears throat> to uh, visit the school. After visiting the school, I came back to San Diego and uh, I realized pretty quickly that I, um, that school wasn't for me, and uh, you know, I, I I just I understood that I was going to go to school to like learn some fundamentals that I could just get on my own from uh, from a teacher. So I found a t- I found a, a teacher, a guide, a guy that taught me how to play shuffles, and we worked on my hands. He taught me how to play brushes. This guy named Michael Cherry from uh, from Missouri. <clears throat> he plays in a great band called the Belairs. Um, but yeah, he's he was this guy from from Indiana that had lived in San Diego, and, and we became friends. He was older than he's older than me. Uh, but when I saw him play, I was like, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can study with that guy. And he be, he became my mentor.
0: Nice, but <clears throat> nice. that's so great to have someone like that 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 can explain things to you and 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 believe in you. So, were you starting to work with any bands at this time? Uh,
1: yeah, so I was in San Diego for three days, and, uh, I went downtown to a club called Croce's, uh, if you remember the singer Jim Croce, his, his widow, uh, Ingrid, uh, owned, uh, she probably still does, owned a string of clubs, uh, uh, in the Gaslamp District in San Diego, and she had a club called Croce's, and, um, uh, right next door to Croce's, or, 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 or uh, behind Croce's, actually, they, uh, was a club called Patrick's. And Patrick's and Croce's shared the same alleyway. And um, I had picked up a copy of the San Diego Reader, the Weekly Reader, and was flipping through it. And I saw an ad in there for, for – um, drum instructions and the drummer's name was Phil Rowley and Phil said uh Phil had his thing in there he said PIT graduate uh drum instruction all styles call Phil I called Phil on the phone I said hey man my name's George I'm from Memphis I might be going to this percussion institute and um you know I saw you I saw you I saw your ad and and uh you know, I want to meet some local players or whatever. And he said, he said, oh man, it's really nice to meet you. Come down to, uh, come down to Patrick's. I'm playing this weekend with a guy named Blonde Bruce. You should, you should come down here and check out this gig. Maybe sit in and, and hang. So I did. I went down there and I, I checked out Phil Rowley. He was playing with Blonde Bruce and the band sounded Killer. And then they went on set break. And he said, he said, oh, let's, you know, let's go hang outside. And we went outside of the club, the backstage door. Lead led uh, or like emptied out on the end of this alleyway and we're standing in this alley and I'm just kind of telling my story, you know, that I just, just, I was like freshly from Memphis. It was like, I'd been in San Diego for three days and I hadn't, this was right before I went to go check out PIT. So I'm hanging with Phil and he's like, what, you know, what are you here for? And I said, well, I'm going, to, I might go to school at PIT. I'm enrolled. And he quickly was like, go up there check it out. But you probably aren't going to want to go there because the guys around here in in San Diego they don't you know they're not going to hire you if you went to school at PIT and I was like what why he's like trust me i went there and it took me a long time i was like i was like i didn't understand at the time what he was talking about but you know i figured out later that that what he meant was that everybody sounded the same coming out of that school and he's like you sound like you got a thing and you know you might you might want to just you know use that you know, as your as your calling card. Yeah, you're from Memphis. You know. So, <laughs> so, as we're talking, I hear this other music coming out of the other club, and I look in the and in the backstage door of Croche's was right there, you know. And there was a window, and I look in the window, and there's a band, and there's this black singer on stage, and uh, and this band is just killing his horn section, and they're playing the blues. I was like, this band sounds really good, and he said, oh, that's Earl Thomas and the Blues Ambassadors, and Marcus Bayshore was on drums, and he said. Marcus is filling in. Marcus and Phil were great friends. I realized quickly that the San Diego music scene was very much like the scene that I had grown up in in Memphis. There was just like this very tight-knit community of all these great players, and they all knew each other. They had all played in each other's bands. They all, like, like subbed for one another in each other's bands. So I'm talking to Phil, and he's, like, pointing to Marcus, and he said, he said, you should get to know that guy because he's filling in for Earl's drummer, Mike Cherry, who just went out on the road with James Harmon, and I was like... Wow, really? So I waited for the band to go on break, say goodbye to Phil because he had to go back and play with Blonde Bruce next set. Then I walked into Croce's, checked out Earl Thomas for a little bit. They went on set break and I just walked straight up to Earl and I said, hey man, my name's George. I just moved to town. I'm from Memphis. I play the blues. Um, I just met Phil Rally next door playing with Blonde Bruce. He said, you might be looking for the drummer for a drummer. And I guess no one had ever approached Earl like that so directly and he was just like shocked. And uh, he's like, he's he's like, God has sent me an angel. (laughs) He said, "Can you come to my house tomorrow at two o'clock and and uh, and and play for me?" And I was like, "Sure." So that's how that went. I I, uh, I got a gig like three days after I moved to San Diego. I got a gig with Earl Thomas. And then right after that, like a week or two, two weeks later, I went to check out the school at PIT and realized quickly that 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 I had a good thing going uh, in San Diego. So I just I stayed there. I ended up staying there for 12 years. And, um, man, my career really blossomed in San Diego.
0: So how do you figure, George, how do you figure that you you, uh, you know, fell into this this path and life that just kept on? You know, opening up doors for you. How do you figure? Why do you think that happened? You know, is it is it your your personality? Is it the way you were easy going with these people? What, what do you think it was? Man, I think it's just
1: a. a it's, it's it's it's. I came from good stock. My yeah. my my parents were were were. They loved people. You know, my dad loved people, and he brought me with him. Everywhere he went, and he was always just like shaking people's hands. He was quick to, you know, offer help when when somebody needed something. You know, so like I took a lot of cues from that, you know, and and I just watched how he interacted with people, um, and I just tried to be like him and 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 in most aspects, you know, uh. And I you know, I guess it's just a combination of all of that stuff, man. You just you just have to, first of all, you have to be you have to know that you're the only you. <laughs> There's no one else like you. you know, I'm the only George, you're the only Dom, you know yeah, yeah. Like like nobody else has your thing. You know, and and so you have to be comfortable in in knowing that you can't compare yourself to others. You know, especially in this world that we're living in right now, man. It's so crazy, because like there's there's f- people are getting famous just being on the internet.
0: Well, it it, you know? it really is a very different world than what it was like years ago. But but you so now you now we kind of got a picture of what's happening. So talk about some of the grooves and 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 just. How you play certain shuffles, you know, that. what got you into, like when you play a shuffle, how do you adapt the shuffle for that song? The shuffle is really interesting because
1: I grew up playing drums on Beale Street with my dad as a teenager and I didn't play the shuffle the same way that I play it now. The shuffle that I played as as a as a kid was like like was like more like a backbeat shuffle, and I would play like, boom, to bot, boom, boom, You know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
1: When I got out to, and and if it got faster, if it was like go do, 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 then I just play swinging eighth notes with an open hi hat yeah. and a backbeat. Boom, bap, 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 boom, right? I got out to California and I got into the blues bands and I was playing that groove and they liked it okay, but some of the band leaders were like, that's eh, a little too syncopated. Can you play it more like Freddie Bilo? I'm like, who the hell's Freddie Bilo? You know, because I like I, I like I had my guys that I was into, but I didn't, I, you know, the Chicago guys, I wasn't quite aware of them. I wasn't as aware of them at, at 23 years old, but I worked with a couple of band leaders who like, you know, you should listen to Little Waltz or Sonny Boy and <clears throat> Check out some of these Chicago guys, you know, and I was like, I was like, OK, so I started checking out Freddie Bilo and Freddie Bilo played the double shuffle right. where it's four on the floor two and four on the hi-hat and then the right hand and the left hand are playing bop 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 so then I learned how to do that once I figured that out then then that opened up a whole lot of other doors in the San Diego scene you know and and people started associating me with the shuffle. Mm. And I started getting calls. We're going to go Oh man, you need a good shuffle drummer. You should call George. And like the shuffle kind of, kind of became the thing that I was getting called for. And it's, it's funny cause I can play a whole bunch of different styles, but like people definitely like associate me with the shuffle. The Memphis yeah. shuffle is less of the double shuffle feel and more of like, like if you listen to, um, uh, uh Al Jackson Jr. Playing drums to, to, uh, green onions right, right. <clears throat> my interpretation of green onions uh, as 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 before i i had actually learned the, the listened to it and like learned the real beats it was on the radio growing up and it was just boom, 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 boom. but i interpreted that as a double shuffle right <laughs> <laughs> Al Jackson is playing eighth notes and he's kind of favoring the bell a little bit. Boom. And it's in a backbeat. Boom. ba boom bah, Ba-boom. Bah, boom bah, Ba-boom. boom Ba. Which is kind of a nasty shuffle. If you, if you know, and that, that was, that was how I played the shuffle growing up, you know? Um, and then got to California and started playing the double shuffle. Right. And I don't know. Uh, it's the the, the 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 double shuffle sort of defined me in a way. I think because um, there's so many different ways that you can play it. You know, you can play it. You know, you can play it with upbeats. Uh, the great Sonny Freeman is playing a, an upbeat, a real fast upbeat shuffle on the, on BB the, on King's live at the Regal. Yeah, it's fast. It's fast, you know. <clears throat> I think the shuffle rhythm is is a necessary is a necessary rhythm. I'm reading a I'm reading a book right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you my uh, I have a I have a Kindle on my iPhone, but I want to show you this I want to show you this out this book cover because it's uh it's 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 so incredible. It's called. Uh, it's It's called the Autobiography of Pops Foster Oops oh sorry sorry, cover here we go. The autobiography of Pops Foster, yeah, and uh, he was a, a legendary New Orleans uh, his name was George Foster. they call him Pops yeah he was a legendary New Orleans drummer. Or uh, bass player, really? <clears throat> upright player, and he played on on the river boats, and he played. He ended up playing with, uh, with Kid Ori and King Oliver, and and uh, and 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 played a lot with Louis Armstrong, and he made a, he made a ton of records. Um, but he's like, there's there's a, there's a whole chapter in here where he's talking about the shuffle rhythm, you know. And I mean, this is like the early 1900s. He's talking about the shuffle rhythm being this. This necessary rhythm that made people dance,
2: yeah, yeah
1: um I don't teach as much as I used to and 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 uh, honestly when i when I say I'm a teacher, I mean, I have to look at someone like you, you are you're a world renowned teacher, I consider myself more of like a coach. You know, I can kind of lead people in a direction, kind of show them things, you know, but I'm not going to harp on like I like a specific uh, uh, hand technique or things like that. I can show them how I do things. And then, you know, it's kind of because like everybody has their own technique. I mean, you can't you can't try to correct Zigaboo Maudelise's technique. I watched Zigaboo (laughs) play the drums one time and he was holding his left. (laughs) He was holding the stick in his left hand like this.
0: Yeah, there are no rules.
1: (laughs) There are no rules, but I mean, you can't deny the funk that is coming out of that left hand. Is you know what I mean? Like, I I, like, are you gonna go up to and go, hey, you know, Zigaboo, you're not really holding your your hands right. You know, it's supposed to be like this. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I forget who the famous jazz piano player was that that um, that uh, went to uh, uh, help. Thelonious Monk like his management or somebody was like or somebody was like hey you know you got to help maybe it was his parents was like you know you got to help Monk you know because he's got this flat these flat hands you know and he's just like banging on the keys you know and everybody else has this proper you know piano play and um, she said she said that 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 she got him you know to arch his hands and was going up and down the piano but it didn't sound like Monk anymore he, he knew how to do it but then when she was like well why don't you? Because you don't look comfortable. Why don't you try to that other thing that you were doing? And he was like, boop, 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 boop. and all of a sudden it sounded like monk. And it's like, look, you know, I've had these arguments. With people, I'm, I'm very good friends with Dave Elitch. You know, he's a monster, and he's a he's a technique freak. He's like so good at like teaching people how to correctly do things. You know, but we've had these arguments about before about about technique. I was like, look,
0: I know, you know, I know, oh, you can – There really are two very important rules. Rule number one, there are no rules. Rule number two, follow rule one. It really is. If you're playing it and making it work, that's fine. That's it. What you don't want, you don't want to bring pain into it. If pain comes into it, then you got to find something that's going to work a little better for you. But for the most part, like someone like Zigaboo plays relaxed, plays great, it works. Thank you very much, and all these great, great players that played—you know—kind of discover their own level of how they want to express themselves. It's true. You know, when you're doing this area and, and you're playing, I mean, talk about like the importance of the song and the importance of space. How do you, how do you, you know, musically decide to play a part, a drum part in a song that's going to fit perfectly well? I mean, there's many different factors. You know, I'm
1: a, I'm a lyric. Head So if it's a song that has lyrics, um, then I'll then I'll I'll, you know, then I'll learn what what I'll learn the song. You know, I look at the lyrics, you know, like I I have a session coming up uh, this week on on Thursday. I'm going to be in the studio uh, with some local guys here playing playing with this gospel artist named Elizabeth King. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that the that the producer does is he comes over and he hands me the lyric sheets. And and I look at, at what the lyrics are, and then if there's demos of the music, like this artist, there's already there's already um, uh, there's already demos of the music. So then I listen, I, I read the lyrics, and I listen to what's happening within the melody. You know, uh, I got to do this song uh, called. Uh, uh, we've been doing all this all this gospel music, and there's this tune called uh, uh, "My Robe Is Going to Fit Me Well." Mm-hmm. and uh, and the lyric goes, "My robe is gonna fit me well. tried it on at the gates of hell, so there's like this mm, ba mm, boom boom but boom, right that's happening in the lyrics, so there's rhythm happening in in the lyric. the melody has a rhythm,
2: nice.
1: so whatever's going on in the melody, that you know sort of like like helps me define what I'm going to do with the drums, right? right? So I just kind of punctuate certain things. So I'll probably play like something like, boom, ba, boom, tra- ga, boom, boom, tra- ga, boom, 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 my rope is going to fit me well, boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? Right. So it, 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 if it's an instrumental song, um, like like uh, uh, Idris Muhammad, Alligator Boogaloo. Yeah. Lou Donaldson's part, go dig and dig and go get and get get, go and and go get to get get, go and and go. And then Adriss is like, boom, bap bap boom, bop, boom, bap bap boom, bop, boom, bap bop, boom, bap Right. So he's he's accenting, he's accenting with 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 uh, uh with the melody. But then he's got this like bubbling thing underneath that, you know, that comes out of New Orleans. So my my thing is I, I accident whatever's happening in the melody and then the bubbling is you know, me is Memphis. Uh, and that's that's pretty that's pretty much it. <laughs> you, really have,
0: you really have such an incredible amount of experience that allows oh, you to, really you. you have an incredible amount of experience that allows you to step into the song and deliver for the song exactly what it needs. I mean, even from just the, the stuff that we saw in the footage in the beginning, you know, of you playing, you've got such a great touch and you really kind of know how to, Thank you. Really, how to listen to what's happening and fit in your part. It's kind of like, almost like drum set composition. You're composing a part that fits for that song at that moment, for that artist, in that situation with those musicians, and you take all of those variables and to kind of mesh it all together, George, and to put it together, and it always works.
1: <laughs> oh, man. You know, I mean, there's a thank you. Thank you so much. That's really sweet of you to say. You know, there's personality, and then there's ego. And you have to take your ego out of that equation. Yeah. You know? You can be like, ooh, I'm going to play all, all, these, all these things that i learned how to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh... I mean, just not to not to get too far into it, but it was definitely one of the things that I kind of shied away from as a kid when I would, I would go over to like a friend's house or whatever and they would be sitting, you know, at their drum set and they're just like showing me all these permutations that they learn and everything. And I'm like, yeah, but how are you with just like sitting into a groove, you know? Yeah. Even if it's a rock and roll groove, it's still like, you know, you have to like, you know, all the greatest rock and roll songs in the world, you know, like even, even like, let like, say like Mitch Mitchell yeah. with Jimi Hendrix, uh, uh, fire. That's the groove. Boom. Right. He's playing for the song. He's still adding Mitch Mitchell in there,
2: Yeah.
1: but he's playing the song, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, uh, you have you have you have to take the the, the ego out of, out of the equation you know like put your personality in there put yourself into it but also like like play what is necessary for the song I don't know man I I, I, I got a really amazing drum drum lesson from Jim Keltner once I was I was uh, I was recording a record with Chris Robinson and at, at Sunset Sound in, in Los Angeles. And Kellner was next door working on some um, working on some drum mixes for a Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis record that he was producing.
2: Yeah.
1: Which I thought was hilarious because I was like, I was like, man, you know, Jerry Jerry Lee lives right outside of Memphis. He goes, oh yeah, we recorded it in Memphis and now I'm doing drum overdubs here. In Los Angeles, I said, oh, man, I love how the world works. you know. But there's there's Jim Keltner, one of my heroes, and he's sitting right there. And I go up to him, and I start talking. and he starts, We start talking about Memphis and barbecue and some of his favorite – because he spent a lot of time here too – talking about some of his favorite restaurants and stuff. And I spent about 30 or 40 minutes talking to Jim and just kind of absorbing Keltner, you know, just like listening to him and like how he approaches, you know, his whole life, you know what I mean? And, and, and um, I really wanted to study with him, but I knew that he didn't really like to teach very much, but I still, I was like, I was like, I still got to try. And I knew that his house was kind of close to mine in, in uh, where I lived in LA in the, in the, in the mid to, in like 2011. And so um, I just asked him, I was like, I was like, can I get, can I come over your house? And, you know, pay you, pay you to, you know, give me some lessons. He's like, he's like, oh hell, George, he put his arms around me and we start walking out of the studio because he had to go back and finish some mixes and he'd already spent half an hour with me. And I was like, okay, my time's up, you know, but I'm going to get one little more little nugget from him before I go, you know, and he puts arms around me and we're walking. And he goes, he goes, there's not anything that I can teach you that isn't already on all those great records. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hmm. Does something that I, you know, was like reaffirming to hear yeah. that, you know, because I just, you know, I like spent my whole life listening to records. And he's like, and then he goes, Take a record like Dusty in Memphis, for example. And he's referring to Dusty Springfield's record, Dusty in Memphis, that has that huge song, Son of a Preacher Man. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Gene Christman from the Memphis Brothers is playing yeah. drums on that. Yeah. It's like right He said he listened to that song Over and over and over again When it first came out And could not figure out Why it was such a hit And then he told himself one day He goes, man, that drummer's not doing anything He's just playing the song And then he was like, wait a minute, that's it
2: <laughs> He's
1: He's playing the song. He's just playing the song. Yeah.
0: Well, that's and he's
1: the, like, he's, that's the thing. That's all you have to do is just play the song.
0: That's the Keltner magic. I've known Jim for over 40 years, and he always <laughs> inspires me, and I always learn something from him. He's really very a deep, a deep, deep. I had the chance to interview him many times, and, boy, that's great that he had that kind of expertise. And, you know, it, it, that that's, you know, advice that you got, but, you understood all that. You, you know, in your years of experience, you kind of had that. So he reaffirmed what you kind of already knew in the process, and that's the magic of Jim Kelda. Now, before we leave, we only really got a couple minutes left. Before we leave, leave talk about the the Veda products that you use. You like the jazz ride? You like the Jimmy Cobb. Model. Oh man, uh, yeah, like
1: I've got I've, uh, I've got some jazz rides right here. Um, some of my uh some of my favorite sticks yeah uh, I, I love them because they, they they almost feel like a 5a they just have this beautiful balanced uh feel to them um, uh, I love how they sound on the rod symbol it has you know I mean some people aren't into like the tiny acorns uh, beads but man I, I love how they, they to me they just give the truest sound of the rod symbols um, and then those you know I use those Excuse me. I use those for digging. And then I have the Jimmy Cobb um, signature model, which is very similar. Very, very similar. Just a hair bigger. It's more it's it's closer to like a like a like a like I guess like a 5B. Um, Just a little bit heavier and they're just a little thicker in the shaft. So I use those at home when I'm when I'm shedding you know, and practice pad, but I love, I love how they feel. Uh, And then uh, my absolute hands down favorite brush that I've ever had in my life are the Vader wiretap wood handle brushes. Yeah. The wood
0: handle brushes are beautiful.
1: They're so beautiful and they're fanned out just perfectly. You know, and the reason that I gravitated toward these Dom is because, uh, you know, I used telescoping brushes for years before that. And uh, I would always end up like pushing the thing up as far as it would go and trying to get, trying to get, trying to get it to fan out as, as much as these already are. You
2: yeah. Know? Yeah.
1: Um, so I'm a match grip player um, uh, like through and through with the exception of the brushes. I yeah. learned how to use brushes from uh, my mentor, Mike Cherry. And, and this was the grip that I, he had in his hand when he showed me how to use brushes. So,
0: Boy, how fantastic boy george what a what a pleasure to have you here oh
1: man thanks man i I feel like we could talk for another two hours
0: (laughs) a part two at some point but you really have so much to offer we've got all people from all around the world that are listening to us right now and uh, oh thanks man it's so great to have them tap into your world and tap into what you have and i want people to do all the research look into george and what he's doing Go ahead and check him out. All Any social media, check out what's happening. You know, In the Pocket, Volume 1. Check that out for sure. This is George at his finest, man. It's absolutely fantastic. George, I think, and you yeah with the Charlie Hunter Trio, too. That's another incredible. That's the latest album that you have here live at the music. Uh, at the, man, at the Memphis Music, music mansion. mansion. What a great, what a great, great facility that is too so you got some great things that you have done and some great things that you are continuing to do i wish you the best of luck man keep us posted i want everyone to go to slupic.com and check out and anybody has any questions or want to study with him, track him down he'll coach you along the way for sure
1: <laughs> dom this has been a pleasure man it's such an honor to hang with you and, and get to chat
0: and and i uh, look forward to doing it again soon you should come to town man i'll treat you to some barbecue Oh, you better believe me when I get down there for sure, man. So, thank you so much for your time. Stay well and stay safe. And thank hopefully, you. we'll touch base real soon. All right, brother. Peace. Thanks, George. Boy, fantastic. What a great guy. What, a, And you can see from his personality, he came up from some really good stock. He knows how to act, he knows how to talk. He's just a down to earth, regular guy. That when he puts his heart and soul to the music, you know you're going to get George in every song and in every hit. That's really, really powerful in the message that he sends out. George, thank you so much. And again, next week, if you get the chance, July 20th, oh man, bring it on. Ashlyn Schanepelt is going to join us along the way. She's from Austin, Texas. And she is just so focused on what she does. She's dedicated, hardworking, playing sessions, live dates. She'll talk about all of it. So please join us, July 20th, 2 o'clock. For Ashlyn Shanafeld, man, thank you all so much. You have been great. Thank you to the Vader Company, Chad Brandolini, who helps produce all this and makes this happen. Alan Vader for making literally the best product that's out there. It's unbelievable. And stay well, stay safe, and hopefully I'll see you all next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.